0: Thank you. Everybody, welcome to Draft Chaff. This is episode number seventy-one. My name is Zach. I'm one of your hosts, and joining me, as per usual, Ben Fisher.
1: Ooh, welcome to Draft Chaff. Ooh, it's Halloween, or around Halloween, depending on when you're listening to this, or nowhere near Halloween. Could if be you're just six months late and wanted to have some uh some midnight hunt nostalgia. I guess uh, it's it's uh it's our Halloween episode and. Well, I think we're going to have a nice weenie roast to celebrate. Indeed, indeed. But before we get to that, of course, our usual housekeeping. If you're not in the Discord,
0: check it out. Definitely uh, go there for all things spoiler season as we're getting into Crimson Vow shortly around the corner. As well as all sorts of other things, listener questions are posted there, the different limited formats that are available on Arena and things of that nature, what's the picks and all that Check that out at the Discord. The link to that's in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page. And if you want to support the show, the best place to do that is on our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Pod. Huge, huge thanks to all of our patrons that support us each week in our content creation. We really uh, wouldn't be doing this without you at this point. So thank you so much for that. Uh, Perks over there include our Draft Doctor series where you can submit your own draft logs and we'll walk through those in video form and post them to our YouTube channel so you can get sort of a bit of an asynchronous coaching session from us. Um, there are also stickers, show notes, unedited recordings available, as well as our Draft Chaff Hero cards sent to you, uh, signed by us as well. And we currently are hoping to reach our next stretch goal, and uh, when we do, we're going to open up our recording channel so folks can come listen to us live as we are recording the episodes each week. So uh, check that out. And then following that, our next stretch goal beyond that is hopefully to hire an editor so we can spend more time working on the content itself and not not the editing process. So yeah if you're interested in all that and supporting us in those ways check out the patreon at patreon.com forward slash draft chaff pod all right ben on to our crack a draft type thing what you got
1: got a pack one pick one for you here and this may be a controversial one the the first card is not very controversial this is tavern ruffian i don't really even want to talk about this (laughs) let's just go to the next card which is organ hoarder yeah, the the all star blue common, honestly, a draft chat hero unto itself. This feels like an uncommon every time I cast it.
0: Yeah, no, this is probably the pick. Like, I, I'm not even looking at the rest of the pack yet. Yeah, this is this is probably it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, let me see if I can tempt you with some other things. None of the commons will because, I mean, it's organ hoarder, right? Okay, what wait, wait. Do you take over it.
0: Real question though, if you're at the draft table, like in person drafting, and you're like flipping through the pack, if you got two cards in and saw organ hoarder, would you take
1: the organ hoarder without looking at the rest of the pack? Come on, dude. What if there's, like, a Lisa in the back? I I can't, I can't just, no. Honestly, the Zombies deck, I I, I need to represent my skill properly. Uh, I was a little dishonest this past week. I posted some screenshots from a really sick blue-black draft deck that I was having, and people were literally passing me, like, on color rares. It was nuts. I think I got the Blue Curse seventh pick. Like, that's that's what okay i'll take it like blue is what was wide open uh i got past the what is it is it nadar the one the one of the black one one that makes a a decay token every turn like it's just an absurd deck i had a poppet stitcher in there and some other bomb rares and i two three'd with it (laughs) wow so i had an organ hoarder in there too so you know I actually, weird as it is to say, I prefer the white decks in this format to the blue-black deck. That's just me personally. My own playstyle definitely plays into that heavily. And not to be results-oriented, I did have some some flooding out that happened. Blue-black is a fantastic deck, and Organ Hoarder is a big part of that. I would just wish I'd I drew it I draw it a bunch uh, when I was actually playing those games I, I just flooded out in two of my games and the the third one was close but you know I had some wins in there too whatever uh, honestly the, the rest of the commons there's nothing in here that's very interesting now let's see if the uncommons can can beat the organ hoarder here we've got a vampire socialite nah <laughs> we've got a corpse cobble mm,
0: probably not given that it's first pick but definitely a card I'd at least consider.
1: Even if you're in blue-black zombies, and like you're, you're like firmly in blue-black zombies, yeah, you're probably I, still I think you, you probably, you probably yeah. still take the order. But Corpse Cobble is a, a nice card to have like a copy of and access to in your deck. Just Honestly, having like an 8-8 Menace is a pretty solid way to win games in this format, although they are susceptible to bounce. Last uncommon is Cathartic Pyre. Good. Burn. Now the rare. Denic Pious Apprentice. what do you think spicy so i actually like denik i think it's it's
0: a very usable card in a very usable archetype i think the the blue white vector is actually quite solid in this format and i'm very much not opposed to playing it the problem is taking a gold card first pick and maybe not getting there because i think the the blue white decks do need to get there they, they mm-hmm. can kind of fall short if, if you don't get all the pieces you're looking for. So I think Oregon Hoarder is the safe pick, and I think it's potentially close here, but I probably would take the Denik
1: myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's actually fairly close. I could have probably skipped a lot of steps and just said, pack one, pick one, Denik or Oregon Hoarder. <laughs> because yeah, yeah. nothing else in the pack is even coming remotely close to this. Now, fun fact... Denik actually has the highest games played win rate on 17 lands in the entire set. It's above Meat Hook Massacre by like, wow. you know, it's above by like 0.4%. But no,
0: but it's it's right up there. Even in the same league as Meat Hook Massacre, I think is impressive. That's surprising. I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, no, that is just games played win rate. That's win rate when main decks. And of course, we can dive into the minutia of, of like whether or not you draw it or what, all this good stuff. We are not. Maybe the most apt statistical analysis uh, out there. I mean, half of us forgot their calculators while taking the AP stats test in high school, so... Okay, okay, look.
0: I had an English exam before that, okay? (laughs) When was the last time you used a calculator for English?
1: (laughs) Well, anyway... I I still got a three on that that test. (laughs) 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 Okay, okay, I took Denik, I took Denik, um and i I actually had a suspicion that this card was putting up good numbers, and I checked, and I had my suspicions confirmed. My hypothesis as to why this thing is so good is the life gain and the ability to just stonewall. Two threes are way better in this format than they seem. And an aggressive two three that comes down on turn two that can gain you life and put you ahead of the other uh, other stuff. that's just great. Also, the graveyard effect is really relevant. the ability yeah. to shut down like reanimation spells or uh, to, to prevent something from, I don't know um, the, the horde from exiling your cards from your graveyard. if you're playing blue white you probably have stuff that has disturb or flashback. And then on the back side, this card's also solid. You just get a, a big flyer that you know functionally draws you cards. You got to have some things happen. You got to have some stuff trade off or die to get those clues. But I mean, this thing can draw you, I've drawn two or three cards off of a, a flipdennick before. Uh, I love Denik. Uh, I took Denik here, and even though it was a gold card first pick, I think the upside of having Denik in a blue-white deck is better than the upside of having an Organ Hoarder in an average blue deck. That that was my reasoning here. And Organ Hoarder, I, I wouldn't blame you if you took this. In some, some other days, I might have taken the Organ Hoarder. But personally, I've been having a lot of success with white in this format, and I was pretty comfortable trying to navigate uh, a blue-white draft after slamming that first pick Denik.
0: Yeah, and then I think also there's something to mention here, too. Being how like as good as Denik is, I, it's not, from a cost perspective, it's not super splashable, given that you really do want to play this early. But it's a pretty splashable card. I mean, its effects are globally good. Like, you're going to be having Disturb creatures in pretty much any blue deck or any white deck, really. Like, those are the Disturb colors, so you're going to have them. If you're playing any other colors alongside that, then then great. But, like, you're going to be able to benefit from Denik's abilities no matter what deck you're splashing it in really
1: yeah i mean it's a two drop you're pretty happy with on turn 10 that's yeah. <laughs> that's above the bar for me
0: all right onto to our teferi tibolt this is our roses and thorns style of segment where ben and i share a high and a low from the past week and i'm gonna take this one first this time around
1: Ooh, all right spooky
0: <laughs> yeah so my teferi is that we have a halloween party coming up it's probably going to be cool. <laughs>
1: <laughs> probably. Uh, Ben's hosting. Oh, Ben's
0: hosting. So I'm, I'm busting his chops a little bit. But.
1: Uh, not 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 really. Not really. My girlfriend is hosting. So okay. I'm going to tell her you said that. All right.
0: Well, yeah, no, it, it'll be a good time. I'm excited to see everybody's costumes and stuff and, and how that goes. I haven't been to a Halloween party in like years and years. So it, it's going to be a fun time.
1: Does this mean we're finally going to get to go to a bar together?
0: Yeah, I think I
1: think so. I think that's how that works. Yeah. Good stuff.
0: My tibble this week is that my thyroid has really been acting up. Uh, for those that don't know, I have a thyroid condition called Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Essentially that means my thyroid doesn't work correctly. And the thyroid is a, a gland, I guess, in your body that produces a hormone or set of hormones. And when it doesn't work right, your whole entire body is just off. And, um, Hashimoto's Means that my thyroid occasionally doesn't produce enough of that hormone, but then can sometimes decide, hey, let's step it up and then it'll produce too much or it will adjust how much it's producing and that can throw your body out of whack as well um, because I take a medication to supplement the fact that it doesn't produce enough of said hormone. So when it starts to produce more, then the me- the medication offsets and it's too much for my body and then when it produces less, then the medication isn't enough, so it's still too, mu- too little. It's a mess. Um, long story short, it results in a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression and... Just overall general hyper fatigue, I would say. Like very, very, very fatigued. Uh, so it's very hard to get anything done, which sucks. I did get some blood work done. So hopefully okay. that will get my medication changed and, and everything will be good. But yeah, I've been dealing with this for the last couple of weeks. And I think actually because your thyroid also does a lot with weight management. I started working out like I, I started kickboxing about a month ago now and realize only now that I realized this like two days ago, I didn't adjust my eating at all. So I typically, and this is, this probably isn't healthy in its own right, but like I live a relatively sedentary life when I'm not outside of like the occasional workouts that I do. So I, I probably eat around like 1100 calories a day, which isn't really that much, but then I started working out three times a week, like high intensity workouts and am still only eating like 1100 calories a a day. So I, I lost like 10 pounds in the last month, I guess, Hmm. or like three, three and a half weeks. So that probably also didn't help the thyroid stuff. In any case, I'm rambling, but yeah, that that's what I've been going
1: on with <laughs> well, no that's that's some pretty relevant rambling, I'd say that it sucks that you have to deal with that because I mean, something like a thyroid is entirely out of your control. Uh, and it sounds like the probably the worst part is that the the effects of it seem almost random, that sometimes it's like too much or too little, and uh, without really knowing what it's going to do, there's no way to really adjust for that. Yeah,
0: I I have it. I mean, to be honest, I have it kind of good. Ignoring this this time now, I've only ever had my medication changed once. And I mean, it sucks when it happens, but like, that's pretty good. My mom also has the same condition. She has to get hers changed like every three weeks because hers is just so crazy. It goes all over the place. So,
1: well, hopefully the effects of this don't last too much longer and uh, you get the results back and and the the docs hook you up with some good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. we'll, We'll see how that goes. What's up with you? Oh, man. Uh, also that party that'll be a good time i'm excited to finally find out what your costume is uh which you should tell me now go once gone twice nah <laughs> <laughs> okay it was worth it it was worth an ask i mean i can tell I'll, I'll share with the listener that uh my girlfriend and i are going from as a scene from always sunny in philadelphia great tv show um it, Please it's from their Halloween the episode scene. okay All right. <laughs> <laughs> no it, it, it's uh so f- from, from the TV show, it's from the Halloween episode, which is a, a great time. And then I'm also like partway through, she's doing a costume change to match with one of her roommates. And then I was like, okay, well, then that means I have to change costume too, because if you've seen the show, the the costume that I would be wearing no longer makes sense without hers. So I have to like adjust into a, my own costume change. It's a it's a whole thing. I'm going to also be dressing as a, as a vampire. Sadly, not Edgar Markov, but uh, <laughs> it, it turns out... Giant red chainmail armor suits are kind of expensive, uh, and you know, you know, I, I don't really have that kind of cash. But uh, I'm gonna be going as uh, Nandor from What We Do in the Shadows. If anybody has seen that show, it's pretty funny. It's on Hulu. Anyway, uh, that'll all be good, and I'm excited to get some more Innistrad. Uh, in I guess spoilers have already started by the time this comes out. Go and check the uh, the Discord for all of our hot takes and reactions. I'm sure. Zach and I have already lost our minds about some of the, the spoilers by this point, by the time you're hearing this. So you can go see our, our, our takes and you know, it, it's just Halloween. Uh, I love. It's probably my favorite holiday to be honest. It's, it's just a great time. Uh, I love the area that I'm in right now. Cause there's tons of Halloween decor everywhere. People just putting like huge lawn ornaments out. People are really going all out here. Uh, like giant spiders, spider webs. You know, those skeletons that look like they're crawling over a house. I've seen like 15 of them just on my commute to work every day. It's a good sign.
0: Yeah, yeah, the, uh, the decorations are real this year for sure. I can't remember. Did people do decorations last year? Maybe we just didn't see them because nobody was going out of their house at this time last year.
1: Yeah, that's true. I don't really think Halloween happened last year. Right. Well, like Did the it? trick-or-treating thing probably didn't. I feel like but... most places skips trick-or-treating. I mean, during a pandemic, going to strangers' houses and asking to share food probably isn't the <laughs> the best line. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, uh, my Tybalt this week, uh, I flooded out in another way besides just the uh, the magic way when playing that blue black deck. Uh, there was a big storm in New Jersey over the past week, and my area floods because I live right along a river. And it turns out uh, it flooded so much that I have to spend an extra 20 minutes going to and from school each day. Because just like, I live in this really weird area where there's not a ton of connecting roads. And uh, like the main road that's near there just gets a ton more traffic and it's not worth taking. So then I have to take the back roads, but they take just as long. So it's, it's a whole thing. I'm hoping to uh, well avoid the flood out in the future. Another weird uh, weird tibble is there have been a lot of fights at my school recently. Uh, I have a hypothesis about this. I think the shift back to in-person learning really took a lot of like kids and students and and all their like online beef and drama that's so easy to maintain over Twitter or Snap or whatever these these folks are using these days. Uh, bringing them all back in person and saying, "All right, now sit next to each other and I'll everyone get along." And all these beefs that have accumulated are now like rising to the surface. So uh, apparently, I stopped a fight today without even knowing it according to some other teachers that, that told me after the fact like someone came to my room and was asking to talk to someone and i was like no we're doing an experiment get out of here like but they, they were stubborn about it it was a whole big dramatic thing so apparently that person then went on and was like trying to fight other people so i i saved my class from some drama i just wanted to do some physics so <laughs> <laughs> that's what it was about
0: classic ben
1: and then I, I have a table that i think we both share uh and this is almost like a section unto itself but like It's been hard to find time recently and it it, it blows my mind that like we've made it this far in our uh, quote unquote content creation Uh, and honestly I'm still loving this. I plan on never stopping but it's it's tough right now currently just because kind of schools have been overwhelming and uh, I spend a lot of time writing lesson plans and all the time I spend doing that is less time that I have to work on the show Uh, and I still have time to play Magic, sure but like I've wanted to work on our our cube for ages and I just haven't had time. And there's a few other like behind the scenes things that we've talked about that we're always like, well, when we have time, we have time for this. We'll reach out to those people. We'll hit this person up. We'll we'll expand in this way. And it's just been kind of hard recently, you know?
0: Yeah, totally sympathize with that. I've I've been experiencing that as well. And then, I mean, obviously, on top of the thyroid stuff, it's like when I finally do find the time, I just don't want to do anything because like just don't like my body's just like stop existing. So yeah. yeah, I totally feel it. I do have, uh, some theories on, on time management and things of that nature, which I plan at some point, hopefully in the near future to have on my YouTube, my personal YouTube channel, a, a yeah. video about that. I do have one video in the works. I've mentioned this channel a couple times on the show. I'm not going to go into too much detail here, but, um, I have one ready, but I want to have like a backlog of them. So if I run out of time to edit more of them, I, I, <laughs> it doesn't hurt other endeavors like this yeah but uh yeah maybe more on that later
1: yeah and maybe this will this will go away when we get less busy but uh just know that we appreciate all of you listening and, and you know supporting us but uh you know we we love when people are chatting the discord and we love seeing that someone like boosted their patreon or something like that it, it always makes us smile even if we don't always like properly appreciate it so thanks to everyone that supported us and, and helped us make it this far we were thinking like we were talking before the show, like, man, our, our listeners, like our listeners, uh, like our, our numbers are, and all this stuff. And then we were like, wait a minute, wait a minute. We have to just stop and address that we have listeners and we have numbers to talk about. Like, this yeah. is awesome. It's far more than we ever thought we'd get. We thought that like a year after starting, we'd still be just talking to ourselves. <laughs> so That's true. The fact that you all come back to listen to our ramblings really does make our day. All right,
0: so a bit of a ramble there, but let's let's go into our listener question of the week. Uh, this time, our question comes from Pizza Hand, and Pizza Hands had a string of questions here for us the last couple of weeks, but uh, this is a, yet another here. This question is: Let's say everyone drafts the hard way, quote unquote, and tries to see what lane is open. How do lanes get established? And do like do you happen to have uh, open more of one color pair, and then the packs shake out a certain way, or is is there something else that
1: causes this? Yeah. Good question. Uh, if everyone is drafting the hard way, I mean, well, first of all, that sounds like a great time. <laughs> I'd love to like yeah. s- sign me up for that pod. I, I love drafting with experienced drafters because y- you can do some wacky stuff, some-, some wacky wheels, some good signal reading, that type of thing. But anyway, I think as much as you want to draft the hard way, everyone does have their own implicit biases based on their experience, right? Even if you have like the most I don't know, Ben starkey approach to drafting, you've still had good experiences drafting and playing with certain cards. You have still seen certain bits of information, unless you're a, I don't know, hyper-intelligent supercomputer. You haven't seen every single opinion on every single magic card. So you don't know for sure if one card is going to be better in this scenario or other scenarios. Now, you know based on what you've experienced and what you've seen and what you've heard and what you've played, but you don't know absolutely 100% uh it, it's it's very difficult to say like make the correct draft pick that's why drafting is so cool you could have two different pros that take two different approaches and they might both win a lot with their approaches so it's like well then who's right i think kind of both but anyway uh, i think it is this. sometimes the pack shakes out in in a weird way sometimes you'll just get a string of on color stuff and the pack and deck seem to draft themselves right i think you know when your lane gets established and this is kind of something that um that you develop as you draft a lot i mean we've both done like hundreds of drafts right in our our lives so i think something that i've noticed there's different ways a draft can shake out this is probably worth the whole episode in of itself really uh one way one of my favorite ways is when you just get past a ton of on color stuff and you just really get to lock down one color and then maybe you speculate let's say you just you first pick like a, a red rare and then you just get a, a bunch of good red uncommons and and good burn spells and that type of thing and like solid playables and then you speculate, speculate on like a red blue rare that gets past uh, like pick five or six uh, and then you wheel a good red card that you're hoping would wheel and then you're like, okay, well now I can move into pack two uh, and figure out what's going to happen there. Sometimes that same thing happens except it's with two colors and you kind of are less sure because you see a bit more of each color that you're in. There's twice as many cards to worry about because there's twice as many colors, and then you kind of have the same thing happen uh, in pack two, and then again in pack three. You no, know, it, it's a it's really a question about how draft works, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I guess so. I I think I mean if you were to try to boil this down and like take this optimum scenario that Pizza Hand is is addressing here, like let's say in some weird alternate reality, everybody could completely ignore their biases and just draft the hard way. I think what you'd end up seeing is everybody would take the best card in the pack first, probably two picks, regardless of what they're, first pick was the second second pick to probably just still take the most powerful card in the pack and then you know you're getting past the pack with something having been taken we've talked about this before on the show too where sometimes when you're taking a card out of a pack you're taking like the best green card let's say but you're passing the second best green card in the set Mm -hmm. so you're accidentally sending the signal that you don't want green because your i guess opponent or the person you're 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 passing to doesn't know that you took a better green card so they just see a pack with oh wow the best card in this Like there's just this amazing green card in this pack. Why didn't they take this? Green must be open. I think I think it comes down far more to signal reading at that point and understanding, really understanding. Because I think this is something that I actually forget to do a lot of times when I draft. And this is a a piece of my own drafting that I could shore up by by getting better at this aspect. But I think part of the time when you're drafting, you should be really thinking, like, outside of just seeing the signals in the, the pack that you're being passed, you should really be thinking, what is the person to my left? What colors are they in? And what is the person to my right? What colors are they in? There are enough e- pieces of evidence that you can be pretty confident by the end of a draft what both of the players sitting next to you are drafting colors-wise, if you really pay attention to it. And I think if everybody's drafting the hard way, that's the piece that differentiates you from the rest of the table and helps you build the best deck. Because if you know the person to your left is drafting, uh, say, blue-red, and the person to your right is drafting blue-black, you're definitely going to want to be off of blue you know, and then try to try to work it around that way and figure it out from there because you know they're both going to be passing you different colors than, than what they're taking. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it is it is kind of a Twilight Zone-y scenario. Like, I don't think we'll ever come across a situation where nobody's drafting with, with preconceived biases and things like that, but um, that's sort of how those lanes would get established, I would think.
1: I do remember I did once get to draft with, john finkel aka johnny magic and i remember after the draft he was like yeah I, I knew like the person to my right was in these colors the person to my left was in these colors like he was drafting the really really hard way which is like basically drafting your own deck and then also knowing what everyone else around you is doing like uh just perfect signal reading maybe that'll be us someday we can hope so let's uh dive into our main topic today I thought for Halloween, some people go trick-or-treating, some people dress up in costumes, some people have parties, but some people go outside, crack open a a box, bag? I don't know what hot dogs come in. It's like a packet, right? They crack open a package of hot dogs and have a nice weenie roast. And I thought, well, why don't we have our own weenie roast of sorts, given that this is something that I've been getting a lot of practice with in Midnight Hunt Limited. Now, this is going to be less of a roast, more of a... I don't know, more of a celebration. I would I kind of want to not roast these cards, but rather tell you why you should be playing them and talk about the good experiences that I've had. Now of course we're referring to white weenies, the, the typical archetype in which you just dump a bunch of small white creatures and just turn them sideways, pair them with combat tricks, ways to pump them, and just genuinely high value creatures. So anyway, this is about the best that White has had in terms of draft Commons in a very, very long time. Blue-Black might be the best overall deck, but I've been having a lot of fun with the White Card Advantage aggro decks. Now, White Card Advantage might sound like a bit of an oxymoron, <laughs> but uh, yeah, maybe more than a bit. White's biggest drawback is its lack of inherent card advantage. The fact that white cards very rarely say draw a card. And sometimes white weenies can lose when it just dumps its hand and then has nothing left to do, right? Like you play out all your one and two and three drops and then you go, whoops, my opponent played a 4-4. Four, four. And now, uh, now I'm, I'm stuck top decking every turn while they're playing some kind of mid-range pile and you just lose. Now when white is paired with card draw, you can wind up with this aggro deck that never seems to run out of gas, almost bordering on a mid-range deck. Uh, or as we see in this format, kind of like an aggro deck with what you call late game reach. Uh, sometimes people will talk about reach in terms of like green creatures with reach. But what I say is Reach in this in this case is uh, the ability to maybe pause their attacking for a bit and play a more mid rangey game in the late game. Or maybe Reach could be dealing some direct face damage or, or creating ways to uh, get your creatures back from the graveyard or make their thing unblockable or grant flying. Um, reach is the ability to close out a game when it would have otherwise stalled.
0: Yeah, you're basically converting this super linear deck with the, the game plan of play small creatures, beat down, kill opponent before they get to cast their big stuff and converting that into a deck that says, well, hold on, let's adapt. I, I don't really care to do the whole beat down thing right now. Let's pump the brakes, wait for those fly like spells that get flying or or just stall out a little bit until we draw our late game engine or something like that. You're kind of giving yourself this this sort of aggro deck with a secondary plan, which most the aggro, actual dedicated aggro decks don't have. And that's part of kind of, we talk, actually, I don't think we've talked about it too much, but the community at large talks about all limited decks basically being a flavor of mid-range. And that's kind of what we're getting at here with this, but... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's just that added ability for aggro decks to, to pump the brakes and kind of shift their game plan mid game.
1: And this can be tough to pilot because sometimes people that are used to playing aggro won't want to pump the brakes and, and say, well, wait a minute, maybe I shouldn't make this trade because I have a spell that, uh, I might want these creatures on board for, or I might have a siege zombie that I want to have this third creature around for, or, uh, I might, you know, all these questions you can say based on the things in your deck. Now, creatures in this format, they have a lot of implicit card advantage thanks to a whole variety of effects, meaning that can it take? Uh, sometimes it takes white a little longer to finish curving out because it does have this reach in its own creatures. Now, this is not common. Sometimes white creatures have zero implicit card advantage and your white decks in other limited formats just have no ability to close out once your opponent starts doing their late game or even mid game thing. But once the deck curves out, um, I found that the white decks in Midnight Hunt can actually rely on card advantage and some above average combat tricks to close the game pretty reliably. The white pairs pretty well with any color in this format, but some are better than others. The sack deck, black white, can have some pretty strong draws thanks to what feels like mana cheating. Sacrificing a token to something like eaten alive just feels like you're getting so much busted value. Or pumping a flesh taker and you know getting a bunch of free scries when your decayed tokens die, making a huge unruly mob at instant speed. Uh, these kind of things let you kind of spike some wins. Red's overall vector is a kind of a mix. I think when you hone in on the powerful spells vector within red, then pair it with like white aggro creatures, you get some of the fastest wins in the format. Uh, Festival Crasher, Spellrun Painter are MVPs here. Green White I've found to be the best Candle Grove Witch deck, which is a card we'll get into more in a bit, and has access to Dawnheart Wardens, which is just fantastic in in closing games, especially pairs well with with the Witch. You can have that go-wide plan where you get Basically as many Clarion Cathars as you can pick up in a draft. And then you just need one or two Rituals of Hope and you can just close the game out super easily. Going wide is a a valid strategy in this set. And last but not least, actually last but maybe most, uh, Blue-White is, I mean, it's still in contention for one of the best decks in the format. I think it sits just a hair under Black-Blue. And the Flyers package can uh, really break through some tricky board stalls. Plus, it has a lot of the most implicit card advantage because of the disturbed creatures. Shipwreck Sifters is way better than I gave it credit for initially. And I think it, like, why? We we missed that one, right? Uh, That one, I think, we probably undervalued a little bit in our initial impressions.
0: So we did mention it in our initial, I think, in the format breakdown. And I yeah, I don't really remember why we were so down on it because I I don't think we were extremely happy about it. Um I think the I the thought was that like maybe you won't have enough spirits or disturb cards to discard with it that the, the counters wouldn't actually add up that often. But we did we definitely did talk
1: about it supplying the disturb thing. So let's get into the weenie roast. Let's start with uh my favorite weenie of them all Candle Grove Witch. This is just my favorite two drop in the format and I know I'm sorry Siege Zombie. I love you too. But I just prefer having turn two Candle Grove which I really like closing out the game with Flyers in the white decks. And this card often leads to some of the fastest games in the format. It feels like naturally by turn three or four, it's just getting flying pretty reliably. I mean, sure, they can trade their Falcon Abomination for it. But then you traded your two drop for their three drop. And this thing really just you usually ends up demanding a removal spell uh, in the mid to late game. Two drops don't get much better than that. Demanding being removed and being good on turn two. Yeah, that, that's a, a really good aggressive card. This is also one of those, and, and
0: this is why you love to see this in two drops. This is one of those cards that by the time it warrants a removal spell, it's already done its thing. Yeah. So like they're wasting a removal spell after you've already hit them a bunch. So you're like, yeah, sure. Kill my two drop. Thanks. Love it. Yeah. You know, I don't know why I didn't draw the comparison before, but this is, I don't want to say strictly better or strictly worse. It's a tangential Gustwalker. It's a 2-mana two 2-2 two, mm. two that gets flying occasionally. It's less reliable, maybe, but really depends on the vector of your deck. Mm. And sometimes is just a strictly better Gustwalker.
1: Yeah, I suppose
0: so. Now, I will say as well, just one more thing to add on the Candle Grove Witch. It does have a few awkward interactions. We've talked about I think there's a, a green white card that actually no, it's it's the white rare that can fetch creatures from your graveyard that have a, a mana value, I think two or less or three or less, but it comes back to attacking, so it misses the coven trigger. There are a few the brave like, survivor. Right. Yeah, there are a few weird interactions like that, but Otherwise, it's a fantastic 2-drop, and you're going to basically snatch up as many of these as you can in your aggressive decks.
1: Oh, yeah. I would never cut a candle of Witch. I would play, like, seven of these things and just have a blast. Next up is, I want to say my pet card of the set, and not just because it features a dude and its pet <laughs> uh, on the art. Morning Patrol this is uh, the 2 and a white 2-3 with Disturb for 3 and a white. Flips into a 3-1 Flying Vigilance. Oh, and the front side is Vigilance, too. I think this is the most misunderstood card in the format. Now, I've treated this card very similar to how I treated Farsight Adept in Zendikar Rising, which was one of my uh, maybe more polarizing cards. Uh, that one, the, the Farsight Adept, was the 3-mana three 3-3. Three, three. When it enters the battlefield, each player draws a card. And it had some relevant creature types, too, but uh, my... My reasoning was that you can break the symmetry there, uh, as we often talk about with these symmetrical effects. How do you get more advantage out of it than your opponent? Well, white, when it's a curving out, it can often use that card because that card will likely be cheaper, it'll be like another white little creature, or, you know, on average. Your opponent might top deck like a something that's worse, or like, maybe something relevant, but, you know, I, I like to say that I break the synergy by playing better and uh, having better cards in my deck.
0: <laughs> Classic bad. That's my...
1: That's my favorite way to break the synergy. Now, I want you to think of Morning Patrol kind of like this, except it just doesn't let your opponent draw the card. And it has to die to, for you to get it. And it has one less power. And it has Vigilance. But it turns out in this set, two threes are actually pretty beefy on the ground anyway.
0: Yeah, three, three toughness really is a sweet spot in this format with your decayed tokens being two twos. And this is a card, in my experience, that is pretty difficult for most folks to attack into. And by the time they can, you're really just willing to either double block with it and and get rid of the, a bigger creature or just chump it or something like that to get your flyer out of it. Like This can be an awkward card for opponents to deal with.
1: Yeah, I've just often found that when I'm in something approaching a board stall, when it looks like the blocks and attacks will be awkward, it's usually just the morning patrol that can attack. Like, the, the fact that this has Vigilance in these very swingy, both people have, like, under 10 life and the pressure's on, the fact that it has Vigilance means that you can keep pecking in for that damage this is kind of an aggressive card in the format, and it, it, like I said, it does draw you a card when it dies, and it's a relevant flyer, too. Uh, sometimes, I'll admit, I have rammed this into a 3-3 just to get <laughs> the flyer and close out the game, and, and that works. It, it, it's a key part of the white aggressive puzzle. Some of these other cards that we're going to talk about kind of draw you a card in a way, but this always draws you a 2-1 vigilance flyer when it dies, and yes, yeah, for four mana, but like by the time you're doing that, hopefully you don't have much else to do anyway. That's actually an interesting
0: spot to be in as, as the opponent in that case. Like, if my opponent attacks into me with a 2 3 morning patrol and I have a 3 3 on board and I'm at like 10 life with no flyers in sight, I'm left with like a weird decision of like, do I kill this yeah. to let them get their flyer now or do I just take the 2 anyway?
1: Yeah, yeah, like you're (laughs) taking two damage regardless, right? It it puts the opponents in a tough position, and the fact that it can attack, like two threes can brawl in this set, and it also pairs well with some good combat tricks. It's a bit of a tricky lesson to learn. You have to learn to be okay with this thing dying while it attacks uh, or or trades off or, or, you know, you block with it or something like that. Uh, And you can aggressively disturb this thing. I have gone turn three morning patrol into trade off with it, turn four disturb it. And been pretty happy with how that works because then you have a two power flyer that really does close out games effectively. Now, again, that's kind of what we meant when we talked about that mid to late game reach. This is a drawn card. This is an extra, actual, relevant body. A two power flyer is real in this set. That means you can just start pressuring your opponent. And yeah, sure, maybe you end up trading with the back half of their Beethoven angler. But even then, that's still a whatever exchange. Next up, our, our next weenie to roast is Lunark Veteran. Now, I'll admit it, I was pretty slow in adopting the Veteran into my white decks. I just, it looks like a lot of cards that I don't like. But then I actually played with it and realized, okay, I have been entirely wrong about this format. That was when I kind of had my big revelation in like week two or so, that life gain actually matters here against these decay tokens. And if you just gain four to ten life off of your one drop, the fact that a lot of cards, especially in blue, make two creatures, even some cards in white do this. You can just gain a ton of life off this card and then gain even more life off the back. Like a 1-mana one 1-1 one one that says ETB gain 8 life? That's really good. And then this thing has another card on the back. I don't know why we slept on Lunar Veteran for so long too, but I mean really it was only two weeks. We figured this one out pretty quickly.
0: Yeah, the, I mean we weren't the only ones though. There was a lot of Twitter debate about this card and like pros were telling people not to play it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean it, it's it's there was definitely a bit of a back and forth on this card. I think, as you said, the incidental life li- life gain is very relevant. I think the fact, I, I don't know, I, it's easy to miss because th- this card actually is doing a lot more than other similar cards of this type. Like, if this was a Soul Sister, you'd just be like, yeah, it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. But we see that it's like it triggers on another creature and feels kind of off. And then the Disturb thing, it's like, wait, what's going on here? But I, I really think that they hit a good spot like a hole in this format that needed to be filled in order to keep the, the zombie decks in check.
1: Yeah, this is also best friends with Shipwreck Sifters. Just discarding this yep. and getting the the Disturbed for two is pretty nice. I mean, Like we always say, you're a lot closer to being dead in this format than you think. So when you gain 5, 10, 15 life, you really just negate whole turns of a, of a zombie deck trying to beat you down and have these little damage spikes here and there. Plus this thing, it can chump block in late game. It can also be flashback as a flyer. Now, barely barely either half of this card feels like a real card. But that life gain in late game can really just swing those races in your favor. Another pet card of mine, Search Party Captain. Finally, finally, we got a white card that just says draw a card on it. That's just, it's just nice. Our very own... Uh, Sir Rolf's Pack, mate, our very own organ hoarder. This one's the three and a white two-two. Costs one less to cast for each creature you attack with this term enters the battlefield. Draw a card. I've cast this thing for one, and it's just it's just unbelievable.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think that's um, actually the piece of this card that makes it really playable. I, I'm mm-hmm. I'm curious how effective this card would be as a four mana two-two ETB draw card. Like, I think you'd still play it. But the fact that you can kind of purposefully fit this anywhere into your curve whenever you want it to, you can play it on one, not on one, like not on turn one, but you can play it as a one drop, you can play it as a two drop, you can play it as a three drop, etc. makes it super flexible, lets you work a couple of them into your turns. Like you could go one drop, two drop, three drop, turn four, attack with three things, play like this, another land, and a second one
1: of these or something. Like yeah. that's pretty wild. Every time my opponent drops a search party captain, I just feel so defeated. Like, isn't that what you want to be doing? <laughs> Don't you wanna make your opponents feel defeated? Like, I'm I'm no slouch. When someone plays this and I get bummed, that means that card is good. <laughs> also, take a take a notice here. Lunark veteran, morning patrol, candle grove witch, all of these have a flying mode, right? Yeah. Whether it's the back half or the front half, all of these can be tiny flyers, which are very nice to close at the game. Search party captain pairs super well with flyers if you attack with like two or three little flyers i mean don't be afraid to jam your lunark veteran into their two-two and and attack with two flyers or something to get this thing to be cheaper if it makes your curve out better like you you can uh bluff given the combat tricks that exist in the white decks too just to get that search party captain down cheaper i'm i'm perfectly happy making some risque attacks in order to to drop the captain now this has the most obvious card advantage, as it literally says draw a card on it. Even at full price, this isn't the worst, right? Like you, like you said, you could play it at four mana, but even down to two mana, this feels pretty nuts. I mean, your goal, remember, is not to grind them out. Uh, you, you don't want this card in the same way that a blue-green deck wants to draw cards in the late game. You want to you want to convert this card into damage, into killing your opponent as fast as possible, not necessarily to go over the top which is kind of weird. You want this to draw another Candle Grove Witch, to draw the pump spell that you need, to draw maybe if you're pairing with black, the kill spell. If you're pairing with red, uh, the abandon the post. This is how you access that late game reach so that you can then, you know, close out the game with your little flyers by uh, maybe temporarily negating a card. There's a lot of cards in this format that they benefit really well from closing out the game immediately. I wanted to mention the two best white combat tricks here. First one, Blessed Defiance. This was one that I didn't cast for the first two weeks of the format. Uh, I slept on this one admittedly, but it turns out once again, gaining life is a good way to win swinging games. This is the instant, cost one white, target creature you control gets plus two plus o and gains lifelink until end of turn. When that creature dies this turn, create a one one white spirit creature token with flying. This is just an above average combat trick. Uh, life gain really matters. I've used this to swing a close race even without getting the death trigger. Like I will, if my opponent is blocking my, uh, I don't know, what's an example? My like three, four uh, with their two, five or something like that. I'll just fire this off. Like this is just a nice flexible trick. You don't necessarily have to get the token, but the token is the best part. And uh, sometimes you'll just use this to, to gain you that bit of life that you need before your opponent kills you with something like a five, five. And now my personal favorite, Flare of Faith. This is one of the white instant target creature gets plus two plus two until end of turn. If it's a human, instead it gets plus three plus three and gains indestructible until end of term. This is the best white combat trick. Prioritize getting a copy or two of this in basically every white deck and never cut it before you cut other combat tricks that are that are similar. If you just draft a white deck in this format, look at your creature types. You're just going to have 10 to 13 humans just incidentally. You can use this to save one of your high value humans from a combat trick. You can use this to win a combat. I mean, this thing you can use as a pump spell. You can use this as a lightning strike in the late game. If you just attack and and put this on one of your candle groove, which is it's a flyer to so just go to your opponent's face, right? This always wins or trades. Like it's very hard to to not use this. Really the only way this goes wrong is if you get blown out by like a by like a bounce spell or something. But even if you're, you're doing something and you target a human with this and they have like their own pump spell or something, you're not going to get two-for-ones because your creature survives. It's indestructible as long as you hit a human with it. I found this pretty, pretty effective in allowing the humans of Innistrad to uh, tangle with some of the bigger, bigger, beefier, scarier threats. And uh, I don't know, Sigarda's holy lights. It's pretty powerful at keeping those zombies at bay. So it seems.
0: And then we had a couple of honorable mentions here. The first of which is Gavney Trapper. That's the one mana O2. It's a little tapper. We, we typically like the tappers in in formats that are kind of like where this one is, like the mid-rangey sort of some aggressive decks, some some powerful late game decks. I think the real winner for this card here is the zero power, though. It, it turns Coven mm-hmm. on in decks that care about that, and it's a one drop that does that. So it lets you curve into Coven, which can be very, very powerful And you kind of get that for free. And then it does turn into a little bit of a late game uh, mana sink if it sticks around long enough.
1: Yeah, I play exactly one copy of Gaviny Trapper in pretty much as many white decks as I can get of them. If you ever have two of these on the battlefield at the same time, it just becomes a little mana intense. And the way that this deck wins is by converting its creatures into cards effectively. If you're spending two mana to tap down a thing and get an attack in, sure. But you're wasting time by wasting mana here. And you'd rather be doing something else, tapping out, pla- flashing that creature back, or, or doing something else. I- I'd like exactly one Gaviny Trapper, but I feel awful if I have two and play at the same time.
0: And then our next honorable mention is Clarion Cathars. It's the three and a white, 3-3 three, three, human knight at common. ETB make a white 1-1 one, one white human. I mean, it's four power and toughness for f- four mana over two creatures. Typically, these cards perform pretty well. And in a, a vector like this, where we're trying to get sort of that go-wide theme going, getting humans down... Uh, this card
1: has been pretty effective as well. And a 3-3 three, three is usually just the biggest thing on the board, yeah. <laughs> weirdly enough.
0: Yeah, in a format where 3 toughness is really important, well, 3 powers are going to be equally as important. So this does get, get through some of those beefier blockers from your opponents. And it blocks zombies like like it's its job.
1: Speaking of 3 power...
0: Yeah, our next card here is Cathar Commando. That's the 2-mana 3-1 with flash. That also serves as a nice little disenchant uh, when, when needed as well. Also perfectly serviceable. These three ones can kind of be awkward to play sometimes. Like we always have one. There's pretty much always a two mana three one. It's kind of one of the one the the archetypal white cards that we expect to see in pretty much every set. But their text boxes are always a little bit different. And in this case, this actually reminds me of what was that card? Prowling serpapard, maybe? Or no, I think that was the rare. There was a there was a green two mana three one flash cat in
1: Amonket. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Something like that.
0: But it was it was virtually the same card, but it was in green and it didn't have the uh, the destroy your artifact or enchantment clause. But in this case, you can ambush some stuff pretty easily with this, and and really uh, give your opponent the run for their money, I guess.
1: Yeah, this is also a pretty punishing card. If you don't have a way to block this, or you're just you know messing around making zombies, this'll this'll add up in chunks. And then uh, of course once you've got your opponent down to ten, I don't know. When I'm at ten life in this format, I feel like I'm just basically dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it goes very quickly after that.
0: And then our last Honorable Mention here is Chaplain of Alms. This is another one drop. It's a one mana for a 1-1 one, one Human Cleric at Uncommon. It has First Strike, Ward 1, and Disturb 4, and it disturbs into a 2-1.
1: Yeah, that 2-1, that the big thing, it's got flying and first strike, and it gives all of your stuff ward 1, which I've actually had people not remember. <laughs> I once had someone uh, lose a game against me because they tried targeting one of my other creatures with a removal spell, forgetting that this thing gave everything ward. So it's not nothing. Uh, and this one is the best at that play pattern we talked about earlier, where you're just attacking with this every turn. Like, please, opponent, give me what I want. Let me flash this thing back as a, as a two-power first-strike flyer. And uh, I don't know. I think you should be very suspicious when your opponent asks you to do something.
0: That's true, yeah. I mean, w- you typically want to be doing everything your opponent doesn't want you to do. And in this case, your hands kind of feel tied. I mean, there are a lot of situations where you would attack in with this with, like, four mana up. And just you just attack with this. And you you just look at your opponent. Like, if you were playing in person, you just stare at your opponent and be like, <laughs> What are you going to do? Because if they block... Yeah. It has first strike, so you could very easily play a flare of faith and just eat their four four.
1: Oh, whatever they're doing, or a blessed defiance on this thing too. Just get that nice either of the two. Thing.
0: Yeah, and and then you know you're like, okay, cool. I mean, we won for one, I guess, but I traded my one drop or two drop combat trick for your four four. Or you just you just let them eat it, and you're like, okay, cool. I've got a flyer that also does all the things <laughs> and makes the rest of my board better. So thanks.
1: So yeah, you just drew me a card opponent. What are you going to do about it?
0: Yeah, definitely an awesome card, and one that I think really turns up the spice level, I guess, on these uh, these white decks.
1: So thanks for coming to our weenie roast. I recommend giving these decks a shot. Look, white card advantage doesn't come around that often, and I think you should all take advantage of this while you have it. I've just been having a lot of success with these white decks, and I, I think digging into it, it's the fact that... I mean, white just isn't as downsided. It's not as affected by its typical lack of ability to close out games anymore. Now you can just have a strong aggressive curve, and instead of just kind of hitting a point where there's nothing else to do, you like, oh, I've got a two-power flyer in the graveyard ready to go. Or, oh, I have this card that draws a card that draws another card. Like, that kind of aggressive deck is what I like to play. And if you want some examples, I recommend checking out the, uh, the trophy section in Discord. I've, I've been tossing some good examples in there.
0: Yeah, definitely check out the Discord. Again, the link to that is in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page. And again, if you want to support the show, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Pod. Just want to float it out there again. We are looking to reach that, that next stretch goal and uh, try to offload some of our... Actually, the next two stretch goals and try to offload some of our um, editing overhead here so we can get more timely and, well frequent content out if you want to find us on social media outside of the discord you can find the podcast at draft chaff pod or you can find either of us personally at zach e hackett for me or at Beta fish one for ben fish spelled f-i-s-c-h um i don't know that we've ever clarified that but i'm sure some (laughs) folks are pretty confused about that at
1: at times yeah you know that's true
0: in any case that does it for us we'll talk to you next week enjoy your halloween
1: So, you know, the best part of Halloween is the sugar, right? Like of course, stocking yeah. up on the candy, all, all that good stuff. Now, I have a story about this. So in my physics class, students learn about motion, you know, obviously. And I'm doing an experiment right now, a kind of a lab with them, where they have these little toy battery operated cars that that go at a constant velocity. They don't know what that is yet, but, you know, that we're getting there. They're freshmen. So they have these toy battery operated cars that go in a straight line at a constant velocity and they have a metronome and at each click, I have them drop a sugar packet next to where the car is. And then eventually they see that like the sugar packets are all evenly distributed and they're like, oh, it's going at a constant pace. And then that builds a a useful representation called a dot diagram. And then you can do all sorts of cool stuff with that. You can turn it into a motion diagram, which helps model motion. It's a whole big thing. So I pass out the uh, the stuff to my students. I, I pass out all the carts, pass out all the other stuff, uh, measuring stuff, uh, metronomes, all the goods. I'm super excited. I'm like, I'm, I'm finally excited to get to do in-person labs because for a whole year we were doing this virtually. Last year I had my students watch a video of somebody else doing this, and it just didn't feel right. It didn't feel like science. So I'm just all pumped to to finally get to do some in-person science. And I forgot one of the biggest downsides about doing in-person science, and that's that uh, humans are insane because within five seconds of passing out sugar packets, multiple students had ripped them up and just down the entire thing. (laughs) Like I had students just rip off the top and just chug an entire sugar packet. These are like like from Wawa or, or from Dunkin' Donuts or something. I was for one of the first times in my teaching career 100% speechless.
0: <laughs> that's incredible. I was going to venture the guess at the when you first started that like kids started eating it, but uh I'm picturing just like complete mayhem, like all the kids just tearing them up and just like tossing sugar everywhere and I know that's probably not accurate, but that's what I had in my head. That's that's what I was envisioning.
1: You know you're not too far off.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's funny though because I was just mentioning to Hannah yes, yesterday yesterday I can't remember the last time I had a candy bar, like it's been a wow. really long time. I I'm excited. I'm excited for this uh, for this Halloween. Mm. Uh,
1: I, I have a confession. I bought a big bag of Halloween candy, medium sized bag of Halloween candy, uh, and I put it in this nice uh, this nice pumpkin bowl that I got. And my uh, my idea was, oh yeah, I'll buy this bag now. I'll uh, Uh, I'll save it when, if trick-or-treaters happen to come to my apartment, I'll have plenty. And uh, I probably shouldn't have bought it (laughs) around like the fifth of the month because, (laughs) oh, my resources are dwindling.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I bet. I'm one of those people who will wait until the day after Halloween and to just pick up all the the nice post-Halloween candy sale sales. Yeah, Um, that's true.
1: Yeah. Before we go, I think we should leave the listener with uh, with one final hot debate for for us all to have in the Discord. Uh, what is the best candy? Take Five Bar, hands down. End of story. Interesting, interesting. I am uh, my my S tier is filled with. Um, I would say Snickers is probably my go to. Okay, that's up there for me. Mounds and Almond Joy, which are functionally identical. <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow, I think you actually could start some fights with those words. Not with me, particularly. Really? But I, I feel like there are people who are adamant mounds people and adamant almond joy people and don't want a, a mix. It's like left twix, right twix, isn't it?
1: Oh, I mean, it's both. they're both coconut. One's just with nut, one's without nut. It, it's only one nut. You can just pick it <laughs> off if you don't want it. <laughs>
0: okay, but why have they not? They, they have mounds, which doesn't have the almond in it.
1: Yeah, but it's called Mounds.
0: And then uh-huh. they have the Almond Joy, which has an almond in it. But I think they're missing out on an amazing market, which is like, I don't know, peanut happiness or something. I don't know what you would call that bar, <laughs> but it's, it would just have a peanut in it. And peanuts are objectively better than almonds. so.
1: Uh, that's true. I, I think, uh, honestly, because I love Snickers, and that's that's peanut-based, right? So I think if they had that, the uh, well, peanut happiness would probably be my go-to.